Welcome to the Stream Roots Podcast, where you'll learn how God's unchanging truth can be applied in our ever-changing world. Through conversations with pastors and ministry leaders, you'll be encouraged, equipped, and challenged in your walk with Christ. Stream Roots is designed for pastors and leaders in the church, but is helpful for all people. And now your host, Pastor Mark Pospisil. So glad to have you join us for this episode on Reviving Dying Churches. With me is my friend and the producer of Stream Roots, the John Blosser. John, how's it going? I'm doing well, buddy. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great. Enjoying this beautiful summer, springish, Ooh. winterish weather out there, Ooh. whatever's going on in it's Michigan. Great. Love it. <laughs> uh, today, we have a special guest for this episode. Joining us is Pastor Brian Croft from Practical Shepherding. Brian is the former senior pastor of Auburndale Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and he's the founder and executive director of Practical Shepherding Incorporated. He is also the senior fellow for the Mathena Center for Church Revitalization and an adjunct professor at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He has served in pastoral ministry for over 25 years. He's also written and contributed to over 25 books. Brian trains and mentors hundreds of pastors all over the world on a weekly basis basis. Brian, welcome to the show. Can you share a little bit about your family with us? Hey, Mark. Yeah, good to be with you. Uh, I'm married to Kara for 26 years. We have four children. Uh, My son, Samuel, is uh, 23, and then I have three daughters. Abby is 21, Isabel's 19, and Claire is 16. And we live here in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Ah, nice. How's everything going in Louisville? It's pretty here too, by the way. Uh, the weather is nice, <laughs> abnormally warm. So, yeah, it's uh, uh, things are going things are going well here. Uh, I mean, there's you probably saw on the news uh, recently there was a, a terrible shooting at, at, a, at a bank downtown here. So that's kind of mm. caused a lot of just difficulty around the around the city. In fact, I personally knew one of the four victims that that died mm. in that shooting. So so that's been heavy uh, around the city here. But uh, you know, but other than other than some of those kinds of things, we're, we're doing really well. Ministries hopping, we're in church. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. And yeah, it's always those tragedies always just rock a city and uh, it takes a long, long time to move past those things. So, all right, right. Let's, let's jump into our discussion. I, I want to read for us from the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter three. And here's what God's word says. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say that I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The book of Revelation, our Lord Jesus addresses individual churches, some that need encouragement, some that need correction as they were straying, and some that were dying. Laodicea was a dying church. The problem is that no one realized it. They were apathetic, distracted, focused on worldly things, and refused to listen to God. 
They thought they needed nothing because of their prosperity without, without ever realizing that they were very poor spiritually. They thought they could see clearly, but they were blind. How does a church get to this place? And the better question is, how do you revive a dying church? This is why we invited Brian Croft, who is an expert in church revitalization, to talk about it. So, Brian, how does a church become a dying church? Yeah, well, I I probably should start by just sharing a a minute about my story, because so much of uh, my understanding about how to revive a dying church came out of just my own ministry. So I pastored a a dying church. I went to a church uh, and I was there 17 years. So the church that I pastored at Auburndale, uh, it was at 30 elderly people. It was in decline for 40 years. It was in financial shambles. The building was falling down around there, probably two to three years from closing. And mm. That's the church that I went to, to pastor, felt called to go there. We knew it'd be a hard place, but we didn't realize how difficult. So in summary, there were three different movements to get me fired in the first five years of wow. the church. Uh, there were threats of violence against me. Uh, the pastoral search team that hired me, uh, most of them were slandering my name in the community within three years. And at the end of those five years, the church ran out of money. And at the ripe age of 34 years old, I started to have health issues that showed up that docs diagnosed over the accumulated stress of those five years. I actually developed a heart issue that I actually still have to monitor to this day from that. So, and then in year six, God just turned the ship of the church and the church began to to flourish and it flourished for the next uh, decade after that until I left. And one of the redemptive store parts of my story is that uh, most of the people who are after me trying to get me fired in the first five years, many of them stayed at the church and God did this amazing redeeming work in our relationships to where they became some of the dearest people to me, some of my biggest supporters. Uh, that's a quick summary of what happened in our church, but that's the context of where I'll really answer all your questions out of and what I experienced in, uh, and how to, how to revive a dying church. And so, um, with that background to, to answer your question, I mean, um, the, the key to, I believe, reviving a, a dying church is you have to be willing to go and stay long enough to revive the dying church. So I think the, the problem in a lot of pastoral ministry circles is guys go and do short stints at a church and then they leave and they go to the next place and leave. And the problem is dying churches usually have a lot of wounded sheep who've been hurt by previous pastors. And I think it takes a minimum of five years to actually become the pastor of a church and earn the trust of the people to where you then can actually start to turn the church in a different direction. What happens a lot of times is guys go in, they'll stay 18, 24 months. They try to make big changes in the church and then people fight against it. They don't realize why. It's because they haven't earned the trust yet. So I think that's one of the big pieces. You have to be willing to go and stay and endure and be patient with the people. Yeah, being patient is, that's huge. I I know a couple of pastor friends of mine always talk about the church being like this really old ship. And that, you know, if you turn the ship too hard too quickly, it's going to take on water and it's likely going to sink. But if you, you yeah. know, gain the trust of, you know, the congregants and slowly start turning the ship, then everyone will make it alive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, that, that's, that's awesome. Right. Thanks for sharing part of your story. Praise God for his redemptive work through that. Amen. So I guess my question would be, how, how does a church become, di- like, how do they get to a spot where the church is dying? You, you know, 
What if, what was the thing, at least in your experience or what you've seen? Yeah, well, I would say it's not one thing and it doesn't happen quickly. That's kind of the general rule of thumb. So I think <laughs> as you, I think even, you know, I think even as you're reading that passage from Revelation, Mark, I mean, the, you know, even you, you hear about some of the ways the church is being rebuked, that that's not something that happens overnight. Yeah. You know, there's something that gradually brings the church to that place. So, so I would say that it doesn't, it does, it's not one thing and it doesn't happen uh, quickly. So I think that's the first thing you have to recognize. So when you're trying to figure out what causes a church to die, you've got to begin to look at, okay, what's the long-term patterns that maybe led to this? Some, a few categories of things though, to throw out there when a church, you know, shifts away from being faithful to the Bible, uh, just sound doctrine. You know, I think, uh, I think everybody loves to quote second Timothy four in regard to, you know, preach the word. And that's the call. And certainly that's what Paul is exhorting Timothy to do. But that passage is brilliant in regard to revealing, I think what does cause like a church to die. He says, preach the word, because if you don't, uh, a time will come where they won't endure sound doctrine and they want their ears tickled. And, and I, I try to, I described a lot of people, the way to understand a dying church is to look from the other end of that passage. Well, I think it describes how churches die. There was a time in the past where this church stopped enduring sound doctrine. They wanted their ears tickled. They accumulated for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. I think a lot of churches that die did that and slowly went down that path over the course of decades. And then a young pastor shows up at a dying church and he looks and wonders why there's just, I mean, borderline heresy being taught in a Sunday school class somewhere in the church he discovers, and you think, how did it, how did it get to this place? Well, it, it usually was a, a slow work. So I think doctrinal shifting can cause a church to die because I'm, the argument I make is that it's God's word that breathes life into a church. Yeah, amen. So if it's God's word that breathes life into a, a dying church, then the one way to kill a church is to remove that which breathes life into a local church. So I, I think the a faithfulness to the Bible is one. The other is, a, is an unfaithfulness of shepherds. I think that uh, pastors failing in their task, and then they just, they're able to just pack up and move, go to the next place, and they leave that church hanging on, now what do I do without a shepherd? And then they go hire, I've described as the hiring process for a lot of churches is broken because it's a lot of wounded sheep looking to hire their next shepherd. And so they a lot of times hire them to the extreme of whatever they just experienced, and, uh, and it just ends up being these patterns. The church I walked into, I was, there was not a pastor who stayed in the last 30 years before I got there. There wasn't a pastor that stayed longer than four years over the course of 30 years. Wow. And you can imagine what that does to a congregation, a one after the other, after the other, who comes in and does whatever he's going to do and leaves. So I think I put on the shoulders of unfaithful uh, pastors and shepherds that have killed churches more so than like controlling deacons or committees or whatever that they get the bum rap because that's what pastors discover. But a lot of times in a leadership vacuum, those things are created out of pastors coming and going. Hmm. The unfaithfulness of shepherds. I like that. Just that, not that longevity there. Interesting. Okay, great. I, that's a great point. When I started at my church here, I'm, I'm in year seven right now, seven and a half. I, I told my wife, we're just going to commit to 25 years or 20, 20 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some of my elders are listening. It was a 20 year commitment, uh, but we're, we're here. We're here. We're in it to win it, man. We're, we're here and the good, the bad, the ugly, unless, unless yep. we get fired or we got, you know what I mean? It gives me a vision. Like this is where we're at. So, um, 
I love that. Great point. Uh, anything else that you think that causes a church to become dying? Well, I think I think a third thing you got to throw out there, other than you know, just an unfaithfulness to the truth to the Bible and, and then unfaithful shepherds. But I think you just have to, you know, when we read the New Testament, we see, especially letters like First Corinthians. I mean, there there's division among you in the church and what that does to a church. So I think that a lot of times there's conflict that leads to hurt and pain, and the church scatters. And I think a lot of churches die just because they walk through some really tough uh, situations or conflict. Maybe they're not handled well. Maybe it's just, you know, a really hard situation. Like, I mean, you guys, I think it's going to be really interesting to see the ramifications long term of the pandemic, you know, in churches. Now, we're, we're already starting to see that, you know, kind of three years post. But I think long term, I think there were just some conflicts and fights that took place that divided churches, that, that killed churches, um, because just the conflicts were so fierce around the things surrounding that. And you guys, I mean, you guys know this, like every single pastor one way or another had to deal with this and churches split over whether you wear a mask or not. So, you know, there was really no solution, you know, in that, like there, I got, we got calls, our ministry just got bombarded during that time, you know, like, what do I do? And we're like, I don't know. You know, I mean, just like this is this is kind of out. This is unprecedented to try to think about how to make sense of that. Who's right and who's wrong? How do you keep the peace? And so uh, I think there's some pastoral situations. It just happens in a fallen world in churches that divides them, that causes hurt and pain. And that happened in our church. So there's a church split in the 80s. And the the half that remained at the church were hurt, wounded. And the church just kind of slowly tanked from that point forward because of the, just the ramifications of a church split like that. So I think just problems and situations in a church can cause a church to die. Hmm. I love it. Those are great. Yeah. Shifts away from the Bible and the faithfulness of shepherds and divisions among you. Those, those are all obvious right there. It's thinking of like Ezekiel 34 as well, when you're talking about shepherds and uh, just that, you know, God rebukes his people who are supposed to be shepherding his people, but they're muddying up the spring. They're not seeking the lost. They're not healing the sick. They're, they're just worried about themselves. And, um, and their unfaithfulness yep. and how that affected that whole nation of Israel and and, light, and, and, and that can happen today. All right. So, so, you know, you, you're, you're an expert in church revitalization. How do you evaluate a local church's health in light of the scriptures? How would you evaluate the health of a church? Cause the Laodicea was so blind. They were the last ones to see. And unfortunately we usually are the last ones to see our blind spots. We don't see ourselves very clearly. You know, it's easy to diagnose other people, but uh, we miss the log in our own eyes, right? So, so how do you evaluate? Yeah. How do you do that rightly? So, for pastors who are listening right now, or ministry leaders, or in their church, they're not sure where their church is. How would you evaluate a church's health in 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 a, in a right way in light of the scriptures? Yeah, that's a great question, and I, I w- I'll answer this by saying, like, I developed kind of five areas on how to evaluate that, and this came out of not only my own church, but. Uh, I started getting asked to go into churches and do what you're talking about, to go in and meet with leaders and try to evaluate the health of a church and maybe how to help them on a path to revitalization. And it's amazing the pattern that I saw with just doing dozens and dozens of these meetings in these different churches. And so, so I'll, I'll just give you the five areas and you can kind of follow up with me however you want. But yeah. area number one, and this is the most important, is authority. Like, and, and I tie a question to each one of these areas. So authority. Who's in charge? 
That's the first question every church needs to answer because you may not, the person in charge or the group in charge may not be who you would expect to be in charge, but that's usually the one who's making the decisions, calling the shots, setting the direction to the church. And so oftentimes who's, who's in charge isn't the pastor. I mean, who's in charge? It could be the, the elderly lady who sits in the back and that doesn't <laughs> say much, but she gives more money than everybody else. So everybody checks with her on every decision, you know, just wild settings like that. So you can't assume, you know, who's in charge by the title that they necessarily have. So authority, number one, who's in charge. Number two is leadership. You know, pastors and deacons are the two offices of the new Testament from first Timothy chapter three. It's really clear. Those are two distinct offices. They have two different roles. Most churches that are unhealthy do not have a distinction in those two roles and understand what they are. So I think evaluating the leadership of a church on that end. Third area is membership. Mark it down. Most dying, every dying church you'll find they do not, they cannot define and articulate what it means to be a member of the church. Hmm. And so you have to, you start with what does it mean to be a member of the church and does it matter? And is there any kind of expectations upon members? So that's the third area. Area number four is um, unity. So what's the makeup of the church? You'll usually find in a dying church, it's one generation and it's one race. So um, I believe that Titus 2 talks about us having a multi-generational and multi-ethnic local church. I think that's the goal, depending on the community and context, but that's the goal and that's the paradigm I think Titus 2 gives us. So unity, like who's my brother and sister? Is it somebody who just looks like us, looks like me and talks like me? Or is it people who are different than me? And a lot of dying churches turn inward and they isolate themselves and they do not focus on people outside the church who are not like them. And the fifth area is worship. Like, why do we gather? You know, uh, what's Sunday morning? Like, I, I feel like I could go to a Sunday morning service at just about any church. And there's things to look for to really see. Is there life in this church? Is it vibrant or is this a dying? Is this is a dying, struggling church. So those are the five areas that I found consistently uh, are the areas to address when you're trying to revive, revitalize a, a dying church. And honestly, outside those areas, I watch a lot of pastors go in and try to revitalize a church well intended. But if they do not focus on those five areas, I usually refer to it as they're moving the furniture around on the Titanic. They mean well but they're not going to make the lasting change. It's going to help the church be revitalized. Wow. That's great. I love it. That, that's really, who's in charge. That's a, that's a big one. The, the old lady in the background. That's the biggest one, Mark. <laughs> that really is the biggest one. That's where you got to start, right? Who's really in charge in this church? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody, some family member that's been there for so long. That's usually the dying ones, right? Okay. I love it. That's right. Those are great, great areas. You explain those really well. I actually don't have anything to follow up on because I wrote them all down and I'm evaluating our church as we yeah, talk. Right. <laughs> but we, I think we're, I think we're doing pretty good. You know what I mean? We got yeah, clear yeah. authority. We have clear leadership, membership, but unity worship, you, you can walk into our church. You can feel it. Uh, you see what God's doing as we gather to worship him and spirit and truth and hear the word. So, all right. Um, so here's the, here's the, I think this would be the most boring question. How do we? How do you revitalize a dying church? You, you talked about it a little bit. Is is a pastor or a leader, or an elder there? You, you're in. The, you're in to win it. You're in for the long haul. Okay, but so so what are some practical things for that of revitalizing a dying church? 
Yeah, so I think uh, I, I would just first point to the thing we've already talked about. That's you got to go. You got to be willing to go in and, and stay five to ten years. If you really want to go and revitalize the church, I think you do it the right way to where the old unhealthy dysfunctional patterns get broken and new ones are established. It just takes five to ten years. So I think that's a general rule of thumb. There may be a few exceptions, but I have found very not many. Mm. So be willing to go and plant and stay. Invest in that place. Number two, uh, I believe that it's God's word that breathes life into the church. So if that's the case, you got to go and minister the word throughout the church. You got to preach your heart out, preach God's word. Um, but, and, and I think that's where patience has to come in. A lot of guys go in and preach and, and they're like six months in and they're thinking nothing's changed. I'm like, of course not. <laughs> you know? So uh, I believe that, that Jesus does a wonderful thing for us when he tells the parable of the sower in Mark chapter four, yeah. and he gives us a paradigm for how the word works and how the kingdom is built through the word. I mean, he doesn't, can't be any clear, right? He says, the seed is the word. And it's sown, and it's got to find good soil, and then it's got to grow and grow, and then sprout out of the ground, and and the fruit comes towards the end. So I remind guys in their preaching ministry, like, it's God's design that this is not supposed to work quickly. So I tell guys, just because God's Word is powerful doesn't mean it acts quickly. It is meant—it's powerful, but it's meant to work slowly. That's part of God's design, and I think there's good that comes from that. So you got to go in and preach the Word, but you got to do it patiently and faithfully. Uh, Third thing I would throw out there is you've got it from day one. You have to begin to look to raise up biblically qualified leaders. So you got to look to raise up pastors, elders in your church to serve with you. You got to look to raise up deacons. You got to evaluate the leadership structure. It goes back to that second area. You got to look at the leadership structure. You have to work within the leadership structure that you currently have because the best way to get fired is to go in and try to change something like that in the first 12 months. Hmm. So you got to go in and work with the leaders you got, work with the leadership structure you got, as you, over the course of many years, try to move them in a direction that has more biblically qualified leaders and a more biblically, you know, faithful structure in the church for it to, for it to function. Last thing I'll say on this is, um, you you've got to um, you've got to begin to focus outwardly as you try to change in, internally what's going on in the church. So a lot of dying churches turn inwardly, and they don't do anything to try to reach out to the community. And so I would encourage come up with a creative plan on on getting out in the community and become known. I word it that way because I think a lot of guys hear this and they think, oh, so we just go to evangelism in the neighborhood. Okay, that's one of the things you can you should do, sure, but that's not the only thing. I think dying church, a lot of dying churches have big old beautiful buildings that are paid for. And 80% of the building is not used. Like, think creatively about how do you offer to the schools and to, you know, the community centers and all the How do you maybe offer the building to be able to be used in a way for the community to benefit? So, but I think you've got to begin to look outwardly. How do we use what we do have as a resource to maybe serve the community around us? The church is to be the gospel light in that community. And I think there's multiple ways to do that. Love it. I, lo- I love it. So I-, I have a practical question. So revitalizing yep. this, right? You know, you-, you-, you talked about just that patience, staying staying in for the long haul. 
Uh, I love what you said. It's God's design not to always act quickly in these things, as the word goes forth. Raising up leaders, biblically qualified. Yes, Amen. Praise God. And fo- you know, focusing outwardly. One of the questions I ask our church, I ask our elders, ask our leaders, everybody in our church, periodically, probably once a month. If if the Lakes Church disappeared, would anybody notice? Would anybody care? And that's a big thing yeah. for us. And you know, we're here. Is a great as, question. Is it? Yeah, as a city on a hill. So so when it comes down to like your five areas, you know, to with this. How do you bring these changes into place if the person in charge or, or who is running the authority is, you know, isn't an elder and it is a, a family or Uncle Jeb over here or sweet Susie in the back who looks so sweet what but Phyllis? will get you fired when you try to bring these things? Like, How, how do you navigate uh-huh. that? Do you just pray that God would remove that person? What, 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 you know what I mean? Because um, I've, I've seen churches where you, you could tell who's in charge. And it's like, until that person goes away, nothing's going to change. So you've been doing this for a while. So how do you navigate, again, the most important thing in your words with that authority, how do you navigate bringing these changes if you're not in that, if you're dealing with that power struggle? Yeah, sure. So I believe the answer to that question is uh, is answered by what is the foundational role of a pastor? And that is First Peter chapter 5, verse 2 says he peter's addressing he as a as an elder he's addressing elders or just pastors same same office and he says shepherd the flock of god that is among you and then he describes what that means do it this way and not this way you know do it this way and not this way and and he proves you're, you're shepherding the flock on behalf of the chief shepherd and so i believe the call of a pastor is to shepherd the flock of god that is among you that group of people so how do you accomplish what you're talking about I think you go do the pastoral work, which is you go shepherd people, you shepherd people's souls. So preaching the words, we're talking about those kind of leadership development, that's part of it. But the call is to shepherd. So the way, and here's what's beautiful about God's design. He calls a pastor to shepherd the flock. And I believe that's exactly how you earn the trust of all those people you just described. So okay. go pastor those people. You go you go to the uncle you talk to or Aunt Millie in the back of <laughs> You go and love them. You pastor them. You go sit on their porch at their home and drink bad coffee, you know, what, whatever it is. You, you go work in the garden with them. You go take walks. You, know, you, you go on their turf. You love them where they are. You meet them where they are. And the goal is to try to win them relationally. Now, what I found is you can win a lot of people like that. And that's the goal. So you, And, again, it happens by just doing what God's called you to do. You go and, and pastor and shepherd those people. As you do that, one of two things happens is what I found. You either win people to you, you win their trust. Again, it takes years, not months, but you win trust, you win people to you. And when you win people's trust as a pastor who's simply just caring for them as, a, as their pastor, they will be incredibly loyal to you and they'll, they'll fight for you. But it takes time to get to that place. But the second thing that happens if you don't win them, usually the opposite takes place. Usually they grow even more frustrated and hostile towards you by your effort to try to love and care for them. Hmm. And when that happens, then they will resist you. They'll fight against you. And so that, that to answer your question, you're asking, how do you, how do you do that? How do you know when it's time to ask somebody to leave or whatever it is? I think God works those things out as you're pastoring people. And that's what happened in my life and my ministry. I won a lot of people eventually. There's some I didn't, 
they just grew more hostile to me. It's almost like it's almost like you frustrate them because you're just trying to love them without any seeming to have any kind of agenda other than, hey, I'm your pastor. That's what God calls me to do. That's why I'm going to come see you at the hospital. That's why I'm going to come sit on your porch and visit with you and, and pray with you and see how I can care for you. When you do that, people really respond well to it, and that's how you win people. So when you care for people like that, then when you start changing something, you know, four, five years, six years, seven years down the road, that's a big deal and a big change. They're willing to follow you on that. And usually in five years, you find out who you're earning the trust of and the you find out the people you're not who are against you. Hmm. That's well said. I like that. I like that a lot. You know, we, we quote first Peter five a lot around these parts. Um, Shepherd the flock among you, not somebody else's, not the ideal, not the what you enjoy, you envision, but shepherd the mm-hmm. flock that's among you, the one that God has placed you over. Uh, very, very well said. All right, um, Brian, do you have any anything else you'd like to add or any resources you could recommend for us? Well, yeah, I mean, there's some there's some really good resources out there. Here are the, the couple that I usually will, will recommend. Um, there's a guy named uh, Mark Clifton who uh, runs the replanting side of the North American Mission Board. And uh, he's written a book called Reclaim Glory, which just was – was just revised and updated. It's an outstanding book on revitalization. There's a book called Revitalized by Andy Davis that is an outstanding book on revitalization. Uh, I have a book called Biblical Church Revitalization. So some of the things I've talked about here are actually in that book, even those five areas you you asked me to that I that I answered that question with. Those are all fleshed out in that book. So uh, you can pick that up. Uh, there's a book called Facing Snarls and Scowls that uh, that I wrote with a, a friend of mine. Uh, who wanted to write about a book about how do you preach in a dying, hostile church, which is what I had to do. I literally preached to snarls and scowls for the first three or four years of my ministry. And uh, and so that's what we called the book, because, like, who prepares you for that? Who prepares you to go and pour your heart out in a sermon, and you got people just scowling at you as you, hmm. as you preach? So that was an interesting experience. And so there's a few books that we work with that become a part of the curriculum on on, on training folks for revitalization. Love it. So Biblical Church Revitalization is your book on it. Yeah, that and then Facing Snarls and Scowls are mine. And then okay, Facing Mark Clifton's book is Reclaim Glory. Yeah. Got it. Awesome. Perfect. Well, Brian, thank you so much for your time, your insight, your wisdom, sharing it with uh, your your heart here, your experience. Really, really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to be going through those five years with my elders in a couple weeks. <laughs> and so I, I, I love it. Great. Yep. And uh, so I just want to sign off here. And again, thank you for being here. Uh, Stream Roots is a production of Barnabas Ministries. You can learn more at barnabasministriesmi.org. That's barnabasministriesmi.org. If you find this podcast helpful, we encourage you to subscribe or leave a review or rate the podcast. Uh, it allows us to get God's word out to more and more people. And we'd be grateful if you did. We release an episode every Monday morning. Stream Roots drawing deep from the living water of God's word.